Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I've been looking forward to this podcast ever since it was scheduled about a month ago, and I'm honored um, to have somebody I'd really admire and look up to, Reverend Dr. Um, Fatima Saleh. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> um, I'll read a little bio about Reverend Dr. Saleh. She was born in Brooklyn, New York, to Puerto Rican and Puerto Rican and Malaysian mother and an African-American father. Dr. Saleh received her PhD in mass communications from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and also earned a master's degree from Syracuse University in public communication and a master's degree in divinity from Duke University. She launched a certain work in 2018 in an effort to provide racial equality consultant consultant consultation and training for organizations and churches in 2021 dr saleh ministries um, saleh ministries incorporated religious nonprofit was established to focus on clergy wellness and well-being both organizations a certain work and saleh ministries were built upon lasting commitment to equality justice and grace by being in a re- right relationship with one another um, she's author of many books. Um, the books that our audience might be the most familiar with um, is, I believe, is a trilogy. I believe there's a three of them, and one's either just coming out, the last one has come out. You'll probably talk about that. It's the Book of Mormon for the least of these, and I think Margaret Olson Hemming co-edited that with you. Um, I'm looking forward to reading these books. Um, I have to, you know, my personal connection um, to Dr. Soleil is a talk she gave in 2015 at Sunstone. It's titled Theology from the Margins. Um, and I, I didn't listen to it live. Someone sent it to me. And I, in 2015, listeners, um, I'm a YSA bishop with priesthood responsibility for a couple gay men. And my YSA assignment was ending. And I just felt impressed to be an ally to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I'll get really emotional here because this talk provided me the theological overview and the doctrinal foundation for the work I've done um, since 2015. I listened to that talk maybe 50 times in 2015 and 2016. Um, And we'll actually link to it in the show notes. Um, It's out there and you can listen to it after the podcast and after you read um, her books. Um, but she talks about the Canaanite woman and text talks about that in a way I've never heard that talked about. And that little story um, just changed me the way you taught that. Um, she talked about how we shouldn't be reading scriptures by who's in and who's out. Um, there's no scarcity of salvation. And then you talked about... Um, what it is to be an ally and you lead and you step aside. And somehow I can just see you saying that still. Um, I actually visually see myself stepping aside and they lead. And the bridge over troubled water song has become really important to me is it's your time to shine. I'll be sailing right behind you. And um, then you taught me about privilege and I recognized all the privilege I had. And you said things in that talk, when did you realize you were white? And I never realized I was white. (laughs) Um, To your point, I never realized I was straight. I never realized I was sort of in the center. Um, Dr. Soleil served a mission to Brazil. Um, She is no longer participating in the church. Um, She may talk about that. Um, She's respectful of the church. Um, She has a recent book that may get into that. And our our editors, the woman who connected us, Marcy McPhee, that edited my last two books, is also in your editor, and this book is called Love Memory. Um, I, let me make that... Uh, uh, well, you tell us the name of the book, since I've just gotten tongue-tied. It's Love Memory, a memoir and a practice. So we'll link to that in the show notes. We'll link to the Book of Mormon series I talked about for the least of these. We'll link to... Um, the Sunstone talk, um, but I'm just honored to have you on the podcast. Some would say, "Why? Why would I have somebody who's not a active Latter Day Saint in the podcast?" And 
a couple reasons. One is I like what Michael Wilcox taught about the the compass, a fixed foot and another foot that extends. And my life is enhanced by, for me personally, having one foot in my Latter-day Saint faith, but the other foot extending as far as I can to learn from everybody, um, whether they're in my faith or not. There's much I can learn from wonderful um, religious voices that aren't participating in our faith or once connected with our faith. BYU has speakers give campus-wide devotionals that aren't in our faith. So I think, you know, I can be confident enough about my faith to be willing to learn from others that have different lived experiences, and you are that person for me. So I'm just honored to have you on the podcast and um, what you've taught me and what I continue to learn from you and recognize your great work in the world to bring us together and heal divisiveness. And listeners, the other thing, and I've gone a little longer with my introduction, is sometimes I feel uncomfortable. Um, I remember doing some podcasts with Black Latter-day Saints and feeling uncomfortable. And my younger self would have said, well, that's the spirit leaving the room. My older self would say, is that the internalized racism that I am feeling for the first time because of views that are being exposed to me that I hadn't considered before? And so this is a podcast where sometimes we might feel uncomfortable And sometimes that's just the work we need to do as disciples of Jesus to better understand um, the roads that other um, people walk and how better support them. So with that, Dr. Soleil, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much. I had to move because my dog was coming in and I heard all this commotion. So I'm now in my closet, which seems seems (laughs) apropos to coming in and out of the closet on things. uh, I'm so grateful to be to be, even be invited, and I absolutely am so humbled by what you and receive. Um, I'm humbled in the best of ways. I always say because it could be humbled in not so nice ways, and they could be humbled in the most beautiful, like nicer ways to be humbled. And um, I'm grateful that you said that the the sermon I gave eight years ago now. Yeah resonated with you in a way that um, still lives. And I'm grateful to for us and for a God that moves with us beautifully and um, deeply is teaching us about love. Um, I don't even know where to start. Where would you like me to start? Uh, I don't even know, you know, I'm, I'm just so honored to even be here. I, I, where, where would you like me to begin? Well, I, you could start with just your personal story for people that aren't familiar. It's a very unique personal story with your mom and your dad and your upbringing. And um, I've loved hearing a little bit of that. I love that you're very attuned because of your own personal journey being on the margins to our theology as Christians of what we can do to see and embrace those on the margins. You could talk about your books. You could talk about your current work. I'm giving you lots of roads here. Um, Dr. You sure Soleil. are. Um, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to start. Let's um, my current book. I think that's a good place to start because um, what had me write the book good um, was something. So I was teaching in Utah. I was Margaret and I, who is the author, the co-author of Book of Mormon for the Least of These, and and the third book and the third and final volume will be out December twelfth. And it's up for pre-order, I think, November 1st. And what had happened is that we were in Utah and I was talking. And then I was also doing some preaching while I was there. Right before that in North Carolina, um, part of my work is that I I pastor pastors of all different denominations. And sometimes when they um, when they need a break or when they're feeling sick or something is happening, they'll have me preach in their absence. And so I've gotten to know several churches of all different denominations where I'm, I'm like a sub preacher. And so you get to know the congregations and, um, but I had done a lot of preaching last October and somewhere along the line, when I came home from Utah, I was preaching somewhere and I'm like, do you even believe that anymore? And I realized I I didn't know 
what I believed anymore again. And that may sound so ridiculous. Um, And yet it is deeply a part of my faith journey to really check in and do almost a spiritual inventory. It's like this still, does this still resonate with you? Does this still draw you close to the divine? Um, Are you still living a life and into call in the ways that are, that are meant for you? And I couldn't answer those questions. And so I decided to take a holy hush. And I, um, I just told folks that I was just going to be quiet for a while. I was just going to be quiet. I, I didn't, I didn't, I shouldn't probably preach. I wasn't going to teach. Um, I let folks know that I was just going to wait on God for a minute for God to do the talking. And I didn't want my prayers anymore to be God, I need this. What about this scripture? What about this? Can we do this? Can we? I, I didn't want it to be this sense of I was always directing the conversation with God. And I didn't want to direct the conversation anymore either. I just wanted God to tell me what God. I just want to have a running dialogue with God in which God could just speak freely to me all day and whenever. And part of this book is just the fact that when God started talking, I started listening. I was quiet enough to hear God. God spoke to me in memory, like all of these lovely memories that I have of being loved well. And I began to know. And when it says that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit will bring all things to our remembrance. What a powerful thing. And I love the fact that it's bring all things to our remembrance and a comforter. So it's both. It's like this beautiful, like call of Holy Spirit to like help you move in memory and also to comfort you. And when I started thinking about how deeply loved I had been. And when I was 15, I received a patriarchal blessing that I still read all the time because it is so beautiful. It is just, it's still like this very amazing part of my journey is my patriarchal blessing and that blessing. And in that blessing, it quotes scripture. It says, where much is given, much is required. Now, I want to be honest. At 15, when you hear that, that it, it just shook me. I'm like, what does that mean? What am I going to do with all of that? And um, I think I've been scared of that scripture and scared in, of that part of my patriarchal blessing for good 20, 30 years. And so when I speak about privilege, anything like that, I think this is all wrapped up into what has God given us that we are now required to move in the world. Um, And I realized that what if for me is that I've been given all of these different ways that people have loved me well. And now the requirement is how are you going to move in that love? Having, having been shown love like that. And um, so I started writing, I started writing as the memory started flooding me. I started writing and uh, part of it was really lovely because I got to call people up and be like, you know what? Remember when you did this for me? Remember when we did this together? Can I just tell you how grateful I am for you? Can I just tell you how much you meant to me? You mean to me? Um, so, So much of it was this lovely practice of calling up friends and relatives and people who just show me an abundance of love. And then another part was part of grief. And then I realized that my, the fellow memory bearer was gone. You know, I couldn't call them up and say, do you remember this the way I do? Um, and I say in the book that even when I write the memories where the person is gone now, they'll, they to even write them felt different. Um, and yet it was deeply a, 
deeply a beautiful experience for me to write the book. And I remember saying to my close friends when we, we released it, and I'm not a marketing person. I hate marketing <laughs> and the world of branding and all of this stuff. I'm like, no, I think I'm good. I'm good with this little life I have in Durham, North Carolina. I have these four kids I'm trying to raise and trying to do this. And so when I released the book, I had decided to release it first only to the people that I knew that I trusted with my story. Um, I didn't want to name it out loud to, to the public yet. I also didn't know if I trusted the world, the larger world, with the story of a black brown woman. And I didn't know if my love stories would be held in any regard with them. So I started for the first two months. Now my brother, I have several of my siblings who are like producers and do all of this stuff. And they're like, this is the worst marketing plan. What are you doing with your life? Like, and um, and yet they're like, okay, we can understand, but you eventually have to tell the world or tell someone outside of the people who know you that you wrote something. And our lovely editor, Marcy McPhee, contacted me. She goes, now I know you said you were a bad, you didn't take to marketing, but this is, we need you to do a little more. So it felt, it's still, I am still trying to say I wrote the book to to those outside of um, what I call my love circle. Um, so that's where I'm at with that. And um, it's very brave of you to write this book. Well, thank you. I sense that there's some vulnerability and some honest and honesty there, and some love and some maybe some pain. I haven't read the book, listeners, but I'm. I'm sensing it's a wonderful book. It's it's filled with just wonderful people. And I have to say that in the book, I kind of a little bit talk about my, my, my beautiful and soft separation from the church um, that allowed me to honor how much the church had, has given me, how much of God they have shown me and how much of like, beautiful theology I'll always take with me and I you know I grew up Muslim and then we converted to Mormonism to be a Latter-day Saint and then we moved and um, somewhere around divinity school I became Baptist-ish and even that um, I think even the Baptist I know would be like yeah she's pretty ish we don't know <laughs> fully what she's doing but um I, to my Islamic faith, I felt like they had given me such loveliness and I didn't, uh, any sort of like departure or movement from that, I did not want to, to not hold the beauty of that faith with me. And so I really was conscious about how I chose to move myself slowly from the church and I wanted myself I I knew it would be grief stricken um because it's so much a part of my world I love my mission I have so much of the community and love I have felt for over 22 years you know um it was everything and I remember going to a spiritual trauma clinic in Atlanta, Georgia, given by two um, women of color. One of them was Dr. Shanika Walker-Barnes. The other one was Teresa. Oh, I should remember her name. Both lovely. And they said, you know, whenever you leave a church or any belief, it's it's difficult because you're going to have to recreate and reimagine God where you um, for yourself and how are you going to move? Yet, I felt like Latter-day Saints and the church had given me such a deep beauty about Jesus. And I like Jesus. Like, I, you know, um, and when I went to divinity school, oh my goodness, they love Jesus. Like, there's, <laughs> this is Jesus as liberator, Jesus as, um, as the person and the, the, the atonement and salvation moving through this great sacrifice. And how are we going to live this life of love? How are we going to live a life dedicated to the least of these? And how are we going to walk with each other? And so 
I will always be grateful to the church for introducing me to Jesus. Um, do you know that we still, I still do family home evening every week. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like we riff on it. So we still have prayer and scripture and you can, and my kids have decided that um, they don't always like scripture. So if you have something that resonates with you, that feels really truthful and beautiful, you can bring that as your scripture for the family home evening. Um, but we still have activity and snack. I mean, how can you get rid of those? And so we do it every week. And this next week, Sunday, we have it Sunday this um, coming up. And my mom will be doing a whole lesson on the Israel-Palestine because my children don't understand what's going on. They're like, should we have a side? What's the side? And who's right and who's wrong? And my mom's like, it's so much more complicated than that. And and it, my mother was a history major. I was my sister history minor. My husband did history as a minor. So you got all these historians coming around and we're like, my mom's like, I could do a family home evening lesson on the Israeli-Palestinian sort of what their history is and why we find ourselves here. And my kids are like, yes, please. Can you imagine kids actually wanting to know? So when I talk about beautiful things that still exist in my everyday life that the church has gifted me, I, I mean it fully. And I absolutely adore the Book of Mormon. Hence why Margaret and I could write the Book of Mormon for the least of these together. And I, I didn't even flinch. I called my pastor and I'm like, hey, I'm thinking of writing a book, <laughs> a series around the Book of Mormon. And now this isn't a, a wonderful Black Baptist pastor. He's been doing this for like 30, 40 years. He has two churches, one in New York, one here in North Carolina that he's doing. And, and he's like, it, come again. And I'm like, I would like to write a book about scripture from the Book of Mormon and how we can do it from a social justice perspective. And he was very quiet. And he said, Fatima, we knew when we brought you on that you would be that you would fly your own way. You would do the things that God called you to. You have my blessing. Wow. And um, how cool is that? Now, let me be honest here. When you go through ordination through Baptist Day, they have you say that the Bible is the only word, true word of God. Like, that's the only thing. Now, I don't know how that question got skipped for me in my <laughs> ordination, but that wasn't one. <laughs> so, I you know, I, I'm like, I was grateful to a guy. And we were even when I got the questions and what they would ask of me. My mom and I were trying to really figure out how to name this in a way that still was honoring how I move in the world. Um, and so, so to have um, Pastor Arlie Arkofa really tell me it was okay, do what God has called you to do, we're here. Um, I felt was really lovely. I'm so moved by everything you've said so far. I hesitate to even jump in because I think our listeners rather hear from you than me, but I love this story. I love your language of soft separation from the church. There's so much grace in that, Dr. Saleh, and um, I hope we extend that same grace to people that separate themselves from the church and just honor their agency. That's such a part of our doctrine. And um, I like a term that few of my favorite religious leaders have used as holy envy, where I can see beautiful things in Muslim faith and in Baptist faith and in your personal story and your ministry. And it doesn't cause me to, it just enhances my life. And I recognize sometimes Muslims and um, Baptists and different faiths do things that I wish we did. Um, doesn't mean I take my fixed foot out of my faith, but it's just my home and where I feel called to be and I honor where you're called to be. And, and I love your, I love, you know, of course, I love that you're reading the Book of Mormon from a social justice perspective. And there's a lot of scripture in there um, that ballot that supports that. But then I love this story about your pastor and you being honest, you seem pretty <laughs> upfront and pretty transparent. And, but this empowering feeling from your pastor is I trust you and mm -hmm. um, God has called you and I trust you. And I think that's really empowering and beautiful. And I'm glad. So 
keep sharing. You know, I one of I just I'm not trying to sell my own book here, listeners, but I sometimes reference my third book, and there's a chapter in there. How should we treat those that leave the church? And one of the things we're sometimes kinder to people that have never been in the church that are wonderful theologians than people that have once been in and have had a soft separation from the church. <laughs> and um, I write this. I also refrain, refrain from telling my friends who have left the church, you can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. Yes, I invite people to leave the church, not to pull others in their direction, but also understand leaving a religion where one is given years of service Time financial contributions is different than changing sports teams, cable companies, or gym memberships. It's a change at a deeper level. I've tried to show grace by willing to listen and support their journey, and I hope they show grace by supporting me to stay a member of the church. Now, you don't need that. <laughs> um, you know that. Maybe you taught it to me <laughs> in the principles you shared at that speech in 2015, but I think, listeners, we can still stay together as the same human family and honor everybody's personal agency and see contributions people are making in their lives um, that may be on different roads. So, but back to you to continue to share your story. I don't know to call you Dr. Soleil or Reverend Soleil or Why don't you call me Fatima? I kind of like Reverend. (laughs) (laughs) You do like Reverend. I'm going to bounce around. I'm going to call you all these things. Okay, please do. You know, I always tell folks, um, I had this wonderful, this wonderful friend who is indigenous, Okanichi Saponi, and she tells me, I w- um, she was telling me, I'm like, I don't really have my degrees, and it's, you know, uh, she goes, how about this? When it's cold, your, your degrees are like um, a jacket. When it's cold and people are not respecting you and not seeing you in the environment, it's cold. Go ahead and put your degrees on like a jacket. But if you're home or you're people, it's warm and you're being well-received, go ahead and hang that jacket in the closet, That's close it up and you don't need it. And, um, I, and I just have the amazing blessing. And I, I really only use the word blessing in reference to relationships. Mm. I believe that, um, material things and things can't, but I really love blessing as far as like who we're in relationship with and our relationship with God and those are the biggest blessings I'm ever going to get in this life is who loves me and I get to love and be in community with. And um, But one of my biggest blessings in this world is that 99% of the time I'm in warm places that receive me and see me holy and well. And so I don't rarely wear the coat of my degrees. Um, now, a lot of folks, you know, um, especially in the black church, they're like, Rev, what you doing, Rev? And they'll, <laughs> oh, you said term all the time. I like so that. I'm happy with it um, as, as just how you want to refer to me. I'm happy. Um, I do want to say that I love what you just read from your book. That is absolutely, you didn't get that from me. That is so beautifully spirit driven in you. I, I have to say, that I've had friends in the church and I know some were sad to see me leave and in the way, um, but by golly, and I mean, by golly, um, they held on to me. And as I went to divinity school, went through ordination, became a reverend, um, was preaching at different places, they would show up and they like, holy loved me in my journey. Never was there a moment of like judgment or that I was lost or that my, I was inactive. So I needed to be pitied. They were just like, you're on this journey. We're a hundred percent with you and we love you. And how do we support you? And, and I can't tell you, I do write a chapter to some of those folks in my book. Cause that's just a love, a divine love be like we're still going to church they're still active and yet they see me doing these wild things and they're just like go Fatima go do the things and we will show up at your sermons and when you get ordained we'll celebrate with you I when I say that I am a person who's been built on good love I mean that 
I don't think I would have the ounce of the courage I have now if folk didn't love on me the way they do. Wow. I love that example of good people in your life that showed up. I love that word, that phrase and word there at your sermons, there at your ordination. And I just think we're present for our dear friends at the most important moments of their life. So I love that. I think it's part of just being human and relationships. So love those examples. Keep sharing. I, um, I'm taking a deep breath because, you know, growing up Muslim, having a, and a love for them and the, the faith, going through my wonderful 20 plus years with the church and now moving. Part of my job, like um, part of my what I do now, I could never have seen myself doing. Um, so uh, like on Friday, I am doing a whole retreat all day long for hospital chaplains for Duke hospital chaplains and is close to 30 chaplains and my work in the world is um and they're all different beliefs and all you know and they're coming together and they just they need a respite they need a place to kind of come together and also be fed and also be seen and so my work now is really on activists, leaders, clergy, people who are giving so much on and spiritual things and in the world um, that they too get tired. They too, and sometimes we also need space to have our faith. Well, sometimes we need space to fall apart. Um, Yeah, because even when you're faithful and you're doing what God has asked you to do, it's still really hard. It's still, sometimes you wonder, I, you know, I wonder, and that's when I took the Holy Hush, I'm like, are you still there? Is this still it? Is this still what I'm meant to do? Can I hear you in the wind? Can I hear you in a shout? <laughs> um, and so I've realized that working with clergy of all different denominations and walks of life and different beliefs, that the human experience, this experience in the flesh, ties us and binds us and moves us together. and just because we believe something really strongly yesterday, I don't know. I think belief changes sometimes. <laughs> and it faith kind of I one time referred to it now. If this is a horrible analogy, I say this with any time I preach or teach anything. If this doesn't resonate with you, throw it out. I am not here to tell you that you have to receive anything I'm saying. If it doesn't resonate and feel good to you. But I remember my daughter loves animals, loves, loves, loves animals. Now we had, she had a kitten, this cat, and heavens forbid, she wouldn't let this cat move out of her sight. And she was holding it so tight that the other, her brothers were like, let the cat go. The cat, you can't love it so much, you know? And sometimes I feel like we do that with our faith. We love it so much. It's so good. It feels good at this moment, but we've also got to let it breathe. We've got to let it grow. We've got to let it change. We've got to let it roam a little. And uh, if we hold it too close, we'll suffocate it. it. It won't, it won't be allowed to breathe and grow. And I feel like faith grows. Faith changes. Faith moves in different ways. Um, at least for me. Um, and I remember one time I was telling my mom that I was being very clumsy. And I was like, everything I'm doing, spiritually even, I'm not saying the right thing. I have to go back and apologize to people. I'm like, that's not what I meant. I'm so sorry. I'm not, that's not this. And I was going back over a lot of things. And my mom's like, do you remember when Xavier, and Xavier's like my 6'2", 6'3", kid, plays basketball, great athlete. 
But good gracious, one summer he had grown all this inches and he was the clumsiest kid we'd ever. I'm like, good gracious, can you stop bumping into? He couldn't pour orange juice into a cup. It would just <laughs> overflow. But like, why can't you stop? I'm, I'm, and we were doing this all the time. And my mom's like, sometimes when we're growing, there's a lag. And we're clumsy in growth. We bump into things. We're making mistakes. We're, we're just clumsy. <laughs> because we're trying to catch up with how much we're growing. And I've thought about that on a spiritual level, that sometimes when we're growing spiritually, we're changing and we're growing by leaps and bounds. We may get clumsy. I, it, it feels like we're bumping into ourselves and bumping into doctrines. And we're like, does that even work? Or how am I? And I've allowed myself to be clumsy in growth clumsy in my growth and in my maturation of my relationship with God, um, the growth of understanding who God is for me and for our world and a clumsiness with doctrine and the scriptures. Like, does it mean this? Can we, can I push it a little? Can I, what does it mean if I take the scripture out like this? Can I move my faith this way? So I've allowed a degree of my own clumsiness and how I move with God and my growth. So honest. Um, it just makes, you know, people that are aware of you or listening to you approachable because you're vulnerable. You're a wonderful teacher of the gospel, a theologian a reverend, but you're honest sometimes. And I, I love that. I think that reminds me, you know, I just, I think that is a good thing and it models growth for all of us and not, and that growth comes through the journey you're talking about. Um, so keep sh sharing. I'd love, you know, I, there's so many ways I could, so many questions I could ask you. Please ask the questions. <laughs> One of the th thoughts I've had is, um, and you, you may know Patrick Mason, who's an LDS. Yeah, you know Patrick. And he talks about this garden where sometimes Latter-day Saints are kind of working in one part of the garden, but sometimes we um, need to come together in the central garden and accomplish. And I sort of, so I kind of look for things that fit my worldview of your journey. And I, there's a side of me that wonders if, God called you to the central garden because you can do more good in your in where you are right now than you could in our faith. And it's kind of hard for me to pull both of those because I'm in mm. LDS faith, but I I'm open that that you've you know, you have been called to the central garden and that you can impact more people. You can still help people in the LDS faith with your wonderful books and being on podcasts like this and all the good you've done that still impacts people like me and many others, but then you're also, here you are, I've never thought of a chaplain needing pastoral care until you talked about what you're doing this Friday. And I yeah. thought, of course, a chaplain would need pastoral care. That's a brutal thing to be in a hospital. And she or he would need that. And here you are. Um, and your ability to relate, perhaps, to pastors from all different faiths because you're very interfaithy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, interfaithy. I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> so this is part of, you know, I just like your pastor, I trust you that you're being called to where you can, you're supposed to be. And I'm not going to look at you as somebody that's, you know, separated themselves from the church and is lost. Just, I hate to even bring that up, but I look at you as somebody that's answered the call. And it continues to answer the call to bless people's lives and is open and vulnerable in your own journey about how to do that. Um, but here you are, you know, you know, week and day long retreat and providing pastor care to hospital chaplains. So I think that's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful part of your story. I assume you're in your 30s. 48, and oh. I'm going through that whole perimenopause thing where I'm getting hot flashes, I and I'm grumpy all the time. Kids. You don't even want to know me now. Ooh. Well, okay, so you're in your <laughs> 40s. But one question you could answer is, because I assume if you could see where you are now compared to 
where you were in your teens it might surprise yeah. you or it might not, but it's pretty remarkable what you've accomplished. Um, there's probably lots of younger people listening to this that are wondering about how to find their way in the world. And do you have any principles or um, suggestions when you talk to younger people? Um, this could be career-based or spiritual-based or just, you know, what you'd kind of tell to your younger self if you could, your 16-year-old self. I don't know if you want to tackle that one or I could ask you a different question. No, the other question is just, you know, help us understand um, some of the theology um, that exists in the scriptures to for the marginalized. So those are a couple questions you could go for. Or you could talk about anything else you want to. You're wonderful. I like you as a po- interviewer. Um, <laughs> I want to say to young people, even to my younger self, and I say it to my children who are 21, 19, 15, and 11. Um, I would like you to lean into and really become the greatest explorers of your own life. Wow. Um, you are your greatest voyager. And I couldn't have never saw this career for me because I didn't know it existed in the way it does. I would also say, let God blow your mind. Um, That all the things I thought would make me happy, all the things I thought would, let me just not, the plans I had for myself were really cool, I must say. And many times when my plans weren't going the way I wanted, I told God, now God, we, we, I know like you need to come up and let me get this done because this is what I wanted. And I solely realized now being 48, that I have let go of what I think I know is best for me. What if I didn't know what was best for me because my imagination cannot fully capture what God has in store? Um, I think our imaginations are finite and the depth of God's imagination that's why I'm, I'm saying, let God blow your mind because what you think you're going to do, God's like, oh, baby, that's just, <laughs> that's, just, that's just a tip of an iceberg. That's, and so whenever I go to young folk, um, I always say, keep moving in ways and um, be a good explorer of your own life. Um, be willing to go places and and let God lead you. I, I say, and a lot of my friends um, still, well, I, I say I believe in a wild and untamed God. Just because I don't think you can tame God. Like like a horse, you can't keep it in a stable and just run it around a certain, I, I, I feel like God is very wild, very untamed, and it's an extreme sport to follow God. To be a disciple <laughs> of Christ is no less than an extreme sport. You're going to hand glide. You're going to rock climb. You're going to jump off cliffs. All of that in a spiritual sense. It's like to follow this wild God who could part the Red Sea. A God who could take over people from, from Israel and, and locate them again and, and, and the Americas. And a God who can come down in the flesh a god who can beckon us and invite us to love one another and a god who says when you've done this unto the least of these you've done it unto me like if you're following god a jesus like this do you expect any less than to have your whole idea and paradigm of what you think or what society has told you to think blown away. Like Christ came and everyone expected one thing. They expected Christ. He's going to be a king. He's going to do this and this. And then Christ comes in a manger from like this little girl, you know, and, you know, and everybody's like, what? So I think just Luke 2 can tell you right there. Luke 2 can tell you ex- what you thought 
how Jesus would come was exactly almost the opposite. And I used to have this wonderful pastor who used to always say, don't miss God. Whatever happens, just don't miss God. And I used to always look, what do you mean by that, Byron? <laughs> pastor Byron Benton, Reverend Dr. Byron Benton. And, and now I realize that he goes, because we're expecting God to look one way and do one thing, that we can miss how God is moving in the world and in our world. Don't miss God. Just because you're expecting a king that you missed the carpenter from Nazareth. What good coming of Nazareth, they said. What? Who, that is like some hood town. We don't even like that town. How could this be? This is Joseph, the carpenter's son. How could this be anybody? And that's Jesus. That's the savior we believe in. It's someone who broke all the things people thought how he should be. And that's what I tell young people. You, you, you're loved by a God who challenges and breaks stereotypes and sees every bit of you and knew you, as Jeremiah said, before your form in your mother's womb and loved you then and loves you now. And we'll love you tomorrow. You have a way with words and sort of causing my mind to think big. I love um, this phrase, the greatest, be the greatest explorer of your own life. Um, let God blow your mind. What great advice to young people. You could keep sharing advice to young people. You could talk about, you know, theology for the margins. Or so anything think, else you want to do. <laughs> theology from the margin. I think that was part of where, you know, I was giving a lecture to um, high schoolers, seniors, and and it was in a, a public school. So the teacher said, hey, she's going to teach about race and things. While y'all know she's a reverend and she does church, no questions around church. Right? And this is what he set up. And then... I opened it up to questions. And the first question that these, <laughs> these young people things were all to do with church, right? And um, he's like, uh, 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 and I said, okay, I don't know how to handle this. Because <laughs> this is, and he's like, I guess this is just us. If y'all keep it in here, pretty much is what he was saying. <laughs> and one of these kids, 18 years old, um, and it was almost a whole classroom of children of color. And he said to me, do you think there's any hope for our generation? That's the first question. Wow. I said, are you kidding me? Y'all are lovely and beautiful and risk takers and brave. And I have all the hope that the God I love and the God who loves you, this generation is fabulous. And you will do beautiful things. And do you know this classroom of black and brown young folks? There were some white kids in there, white children in there too. Started crying. Wow. And then I heard things about them. They're like, well, I'm at church and I'm an immigrant. And I heard my pastor say some things that were bad about immigrants. He didn't know I was listening. What do you say to that? Then some, some of the students like, I'm queer. My grandmother says, I'm going, I'm not, I'm not in a good place, but what do you say that? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, it, it, you know, I was getting all the questions and I could see this poor little teacher sweating bullets. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I'm, I believe in a deep gospel of love. You are loved. I'm going to say that right now, right here. And I will say it with all my breath to my last breath. And I want to tell you that humans get God wrong all the time. I often say that if God's PR team is us, his public relations, we are, we do not do God justice. We do not. It's so allow us to get things wrong. Um, sometimes we're not always in tune the way we should be. I want to apologize as clergy for the times where I'm more human 
than God would want me to be in my doctrine and my ideas. I'm more, moving more in my natural human humanity and not the God, the God created ideas and spirituality I'm to, to embrace. And I realized when talking to those youth, they have so many questions and how much they just needed to know they were loved <laughs> and that God loved them deeply. I don't know. I just. And that sometimes we're telling them things about who they are and they're hearing it. And I don't know if we're always right. I'm going to be honest. And as a clergy person, I'm going to say, I tell folks all the time, I'm, I get things wrong. I get God wrong. Um, and I, my prayer is when I preach or to, I'm like, God, to the God who knows me, to the God who loves me, let me do no harm. I almost take the same oath as doctors. If And I ask God, if you can move through me and spirit can move through me. If you need to write over my words and they need to hear something different, let spirit whisper the words they need to hear. Because I'm, I got to be honest with you. I'm afraid of hurting people. Like, I don't want to, I used to say sometimes that people preach sermons or said things that almost lynched my kids in their pews. And I don't, I don't want to preach a gospel like that. So, and I know I, I'll make my mistakes, but I ask God to cover me in grace and uh, help me when I'm wrong. I say I'm wrong. If my beliefs change, I asked whenever, even when I wrote the Book of Mormon for the least these with Morgan, I'm like, if, if I, um, please give me room to change my theology. Please give me grace to misstep and come back and say, sorry, I think this is different. Um, I know better or I know more now. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I think I'm. I'm more scared than I'd like to say. Even Friday, I'm just praying so hard that we do the right thing by these chaplains. And I think I do my call scared all the time. <laughs> and, um, uh, Praying there's more than enough grace to cover me in the frailties of, of our humanity, you know. I, I think that's the most honest I can be about where I'm at right now. Listeners, I'm just so moved. I had the honor of seeing Fatima on my screen, this wonderful, compassionate, spiritually mature woman. Um, you have the gift of communication and creating visual imagery in my eyes. I love you link the word apology and clergy in the same sentence. And here you are, um, been preaching and teaching for decades and have um, wonderful academic credentials and wonderful, you know, actual experience. And you are humble enough to, to put the word apology and clergy in the same sentence. And, and how that makes me want to role model your behavior in anything I do is to be less certain and more kind and give more grace. But then you said, let me do no harm, which I think docs and social workers and clergy hope to do. But then you have this visual imagery. I don't want to say anything to lynch my kids and their abuse. <laughs> I think referring yeah. to your own kids is symbolically... Um, back to that classroom you talked about, the things we say, I call it the trap of unearned opinions, saying things about immigrants or black people or queer people um, 
you know, I shouldn't have opinions about a black teenager until I talk to lots and lots of black teenagers. And talking to my white teenager doesn't, doesn't get me to the finish line. It just is talking to a teenager. So I think, you know, it's so important to talk to people outside of our circle. And then, you know, we see people as the same human family. But that classroom of wonderful youth that just want to know they're loved. Yeah. And the emotion that came to their, came forward as they felt love and felt hope. One of the greatest gifts you're giving in your ministry is hope and healing and perspective. You're not a bombastic, let's divide us as the human family to create community. You're bringing us together through hope and healing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, full of grace and love. And, and part of that is your own vulnerability, Fatima. You're very brave to be vulnerable. Um, but I think it's one of your spiritual gifts to role model that for the rest of us. We've kind of got time for one more segment or there's one last, you know, five minute, 10 minute thing you'd like to share with our listeners. So as I think about, you know, um, I used to wear my Duke Divinity sweatshirt. This came up for me mm-hmm. and people are like, are you a pastor? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of um, clergy. And you know how many people had horrible experience or hard experiences with clergy of all different denominations? And um, even I talk to someone who was Islamic and they wanted to talk about how they were. And so I found my kids told me, stop wearing your Duke divinity sweatshirt because people have a whole lot. of (laughs) They're like unload all of this. And so I learned almost to deeply apologize for religious leaders. I felt like as, as part of religious leaders now that I am, it's part of me too, to be like, Hey, I'm sorry. We as religious leaders don't always move the best ways. And I hope you know that you didn't deserve to feel that way, that there's a God who loves you, that this, and I was doing that so often that apology and clergy are now linked to me because of how much I was having to do that. And I, and I, and I'm okay with that. I, you know, I, I believe in a God that and repentance is for all of us, you know, and communal repentance is a thing. Like, you know, I'm part of a community of clergy and sometimes we ain't the best. Uh, sometimes we have bright shining moments and we're great. And other times like, ee. and you'll see that with prophets in the book of Mormon and in the Bibles, David was great with Goliath. And other times you're like, well, Bathsheba, what are you doing? Like, this is horrendous. Like, Nephi was great at one point. Then, then he became a little, oh, I'm iffy when he, you know, um, when he started to really live almost into the trauma of being abused by his brothers and how much was happening. And you see this real separation and him really wanting to distance himself more and more from his siblings. And we get some real strong wording coming out of that. Um, I, I think of Jonah. Like, it's just all of us, you know, I don't think... You could absolutely look at any religious figure in any of our scripture and not be like, ah, you know, it did so great then. Oh, that chapter, we weren't as great as we were. Um, And so I'm okay with knowing, I think the scriptures provide such a beautiful foundation of being fallible and called. Um, Faulty, make mistakes and called. getting back up, asking for forgiveness and called. So, and I do want to say that um, I am deeply as a womanist and moving in this sort of theology is that I believe your truth and your beauty that is, and the God, you know, which is just can stand, we can stand right by each other and your story and your sacred story and my sacred story move together. And there's no hierarchy in that. It's just the beauty of how God, one time in my life, and I'm going to say this as a mother, and this is sometimes how I explain God to folks, is that I have two sons and one is extremely early. When I tell you early, I mean, 20 minutes, he gets there before the coach gets there. (laughs) 
Then I got the other son <laughs> who's late to everything. He barely got clothes on. I'm telling you, like, and it's already 10 minutes. He just wants to, he don't care if he missed the warmups, nothing. So one time they were both in the car. Now my one son who's always early was waiting in the car 10 minutes because he wanted to get there early. The other son wasn't even dressed, just had shorts on, had his shirt and socks and shoes in his hand running out to the car, already 15 minutes late. And I looked and turned to both of them in the back seat. And I said, Xavier, you need to calm down. You do not need to be early to everything. You do not need to get there before the coach. Micah, you need to take life more seriously and get there on time. People are waiting and you're having to be there. And I realized right then that my sons were going to probably describe to you two different mothers. A mother who told him to calm down. And while his brother sitting right there will say, no, she was always telling me to take things seriously. And I realized if I as a mother can be almost four different, and I'd have to be with four different children, what they call out in me is different. Then I can have a God that talks to you differently than talks to me. That could be saying something to you because it relates right to you and where you're at and who you are and your strengths and weaknesses. And it could also be telling me something and it looks different, but it's for where I'm at in the world and what God knows about me. And so it helped me really be able to accept and love how God. So when you share your stories with me, I'm just, I get to partake and how God is moving with you. And that teaches me more about God. Wow. And so I am here for all of our stories, all of our stories with the divine. And I don't expect hardly any of us will be alike. That it'll be so distinctly different because God is a good parent, great parent, and, and so particular to us. And um, I'm grateful for that. And that's how I get to move through the world, deeply grateful, listening to how the divine moves in so many of us. And I say my first native language is Christianity and Christ, but I'm more than willing to learn to become multilingual in the ways that you know God and how you name God. And so I may have my, my first language, and, but I am of divine and God but I'm very willing and open. What's the language of you and God? Thank you so much. Um, On behalf of all of our listeners, all your friends and all the work you're doing, it is so needed. You're bringing hope and healing. And um, one of your core messages is God loves you and he will talk to you. Um, the value of personal revelation. I love your own experience with your son that um, you have a way of taking lived experiences and applying them in a practical way to help us see that we each receive personal revelation on where we are and honoring each other's stories and walking with each other. And um, so thank you. But I call you your full name, Reverend Dr. <laughs> Fatima Saleh, because it's a big deal to get a PhD. I think in that podcast you shared at Sunstone, you were talking about defending your dissertation, breastfeeding and yeah. <laughs> at Duke. And I loved some of your personal stories in there that were so great. And remember how she pooped all over me? Yeah, you said that. And I've, I guess that's real because you still, now I'll ask you a question because um, this, in that speech at Sunstone, we'll link to in the show notes, you, as you were talking about an ally, you talk about a, I believe a white Duke professor who was fighting for the tenure of a black professor at Duke, um, who was your teacher. And yes. you, you talked about how that white professor in that fight actually died at a heart attack and died in that tenure meeting. But then you mentioned um, the professor that was teaching your semester, a black professor had a stroke and wasn't it. And so did he, did, did he make it? Do we, do you he know? Did. Reverend Turner, Reverend Dr. He did, he did, he did. And um, he's -hmm. still leading his church. So he survived the stroke. and He did. Now, it took him a while, you know, to recover and come back. And we didn't have him 
the rest of the semester, he taught our class preaching into social crisis. Can you imagine? Wow. And he was like a black revolutionary, like civil rights. And he brought William Barber to our class. And, <laughs> you know, he was just and to see him, um, we I visited his church after the semester ended and just had to give him a hug as he's walking with a cane. And but he's doing so much better now. Thank you for asking about him. Well, I thought about him every time I hear, would hear this and especially this morning, because it's been eight years since you shared um, about him. And I just so that's a wonderful thing. If you listen in the show notes, to your speech, you'll hear the rest of the story be here before you hear the first story. So yes. thank you for joining us and um, we'll sign off now, but um, just my personal love support prayers for your ministry and the work you're doing. And I, I could symbolically put my hands on your back and just mm-hmm. say, keep being you, keep doing what you're doing. Take care of yourself. I like this holy hush you took once. Um, take care of yourself as you're blessing so many people. And so, Fatima, thank you for being on the podcast. And this is Richard Osler and Fatima Saleh signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm